Welcome to the show, everyone. We're going to get started here on Education, Leadership, and Beyond. Welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Murata, host of the show, and we are excited to be on Facebook Live as well as iTunes. We are going to meet uh, our guest coming up here in our next segment. Today's guest is Dr. Louvel Brown, superintendent of Ithaca School District up in Ithaca, New York. So we're uh, very excited to meet Dr. Brown here on the program. And he was the superintendent of New York State of the Year in 2017. So very excited uh, about today's show. I do want to bring in today's uh, sponsor. Uh, today's sponsor is 1106 Design. That's right, 1106 Design. And my friend, uh, Michelle DiFilippo, uh, she was kind enough to sponsor today's show. She helped me put this book together, right? So... Uh, if you're someone who's thinking about writing a book, I know Doc uh, is going to be having a book coming up there soon. Uh, but if you're someone who's thinking about a book and you don't know how to do it, you don't know how to get started, Michelle DiFilippo and 11 uh, or 1106 Design um, is the person for, me, for you. It is a one-stop shopping uh, place for self-publishers. Uh, they do a lot of hand-holding. You get unlimited questions. Uh, website design, uh, book editing, the book layout. They helped me design this cover. I kind of told them what I was looking for, and they helped me put it together. Uh, soup to nuts. It's one-stop shopping. And uh, feel free to reach out to M uh, Michelle DiFilippo at Design1106 and uh, or 1106Design. And, again, you can get a, a free copy of her book that she put out, published like the pros, it's on her website. If you shoot her an email and let her know that you uh, you heard about it on Education, Leadership, and Beyond, she will take care of you. Again, 1106 Design is today's sponsor, and uh, I appreciate all the work uh, that Michelle did in, in helping me get my book uh, off and running. So let's get started. It is show 46, and again, we're going to meet Dr. Louvel Brown here in a few minutes uh, coming up as today's guest on the program and we're going to talk about a culture of love. When you meet Dr. Brown, he's going to talk about some of the things uh, that he's done at the Ithaca School District. But when I met Doc uh, up at the Saney's conference last year, uh, he started talking about some things. And normally when you meet an educator, they're talking about test scores and teaching practices and, and things like that. And I was blown away with his presentation, uh, which centered around a culture of love. So uh, we'll have Doc talk about that in a minute. But when I was preparing for the show, I had just celebrated my anniversary. It was my 17th year anniversary with my wife, Mrs. Murata, Jen Murata. And uh, you know what? I said, hey, we're going to talk about a culture of love in Ithaca schools. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, cultural love that we've built in my home and my family and uh, largely uh, in part due to my wife. So uh, this opening segment is dedicated to her and, and the things that we're trying to do in terms of building a culture of love in our home. So number one, patience, love, and gratitude. 
we learned those concepts from Dr. Bird and, and, uh, uh, it, it, you know, sometimes I got a short uh, patience and, and, you know, uh, when things aren't going right, I, I tend to lose my temper. And my wife has helped me with that. Um, again, patience, love and gratitude. Those are the things I want to bring to the table for, with my wife and my relationship with her. And uh, she's taught me those things. Number two, she's taught me uh, in my time, again, building a culture of love. Listen, don't fix. Listen. Uh, as a principal, uh, as a man, I, I, I hear something, I try to fix it. I'm making a suggestion and uh, my wife has helped me become a better listener. So number three, in terms of making a commitment, do what you say you are going to do. And uh, if I make a promise to my wife, I make a commitment to my wife, uh, do what you say you're going to do. Number four, a pedestal. My wife told me when we first got married, our first year, you know, that I, I had her on a pedestal. I kept her up there. I kept her special. And um, maybe after a year or two of marriage, I wasn't doing that. And, uh, um, you know, to, to, to say that, keep that special person in that cultural love, keep that person high up, keep them in, in a place that, you know, makes them special. Number four, build up and support your partner, right? Doc's going to talk about that. Uh, coming up here uh, with Louvel Brown uh, in, in his role in Ithaca schools, build up your people, right? And uh, so many, so much divorce out there, so many separated couples, build your partner up, support your partner. And then again, my wife uh, really has, has taught me uh, that. Number six, make a commitment to that person. I'm going to uh, a wedding at the end of May. And I just went to my brother's wedding at the beginning of April. Uh, we're here in April of, of 2018, and you make a commitment to that person. You're not just dating anymore. You, you're committed. You're committed, and uh, realize that that marriage and that love and that bond is a commitment. Number seven, make adventures together, take trips together, make special time together, and go places. Certainly, you can get caught up in the monotony of life and and things like that, but take trips together. I love Groupon. They're not sponsoring the show, but man, you can find a lot of cool stuff on Groupon and take your uh, your family away. Number eight, make special time for the two of you. And again, whether you're going to do something cool together or it's just time for you and your loved one. Um, I know Doc is going to talk about his children coming up on, on the show. We have three young kids. They're actually our guests next week on, on the pro. It's uh, on the show. It's two of their birthdays, Matthew and, and Tessa. So they're going to be the guests on the show. Um, but make special time for you and your loved one. And, uh, hey, we're married 17 years, but I think it's still important that we go on dates and, and spend time together. Number nine, don't air your dirty laundry. We all have disagreements. We all have things uh, that maybe we're not thrilled in uh, with our, our life and our relationship. Well, uh, uh, don't air your dirty laundry. Don't talk poorly about your spouse. Uh, and that kind of stuff. My wife is a, is a great woman and, and so excited to, to talk about these things. But when things aren't great, you know, you're not going to hear a peep uh, uh, about about my wife. So and last thing, build some goals together. What are your relationship goals? I certainly have some goals here uh, with my book and what I'm doing with Andrew Murata LLC here on uh, education, leadership and beyond. But what are your couple goals? What are what does your couple stand for? Um, a friend of mine, Kevin Spanauer, he built a family crest with a family motto. 
I think that's great. And that's something that we're going to do with our family coming up uh, to kind of what is your family about? So those things uh, uh, in building talking about a culture of love and, and meeting Dr. Brown coming up. Um, I said, you know what? Hey, it's not an education uh, uh, thing here, but I wanted to talk about that and uh, recognize my wife and our anniversary um, here on the program today. So I hope you like that. And uh, wherever you are in your relationship, whether you're dating, whether you're married 50 years or 17 like me, I thought these were some points that could help you and, and uh, work for you in your life. Before we uh, bring Dr. Brown in again, I want to give a shout out. Uh, 1106 Design, my friend Michelle DiFilippo, uh, kind enough to sponsor the program. And uh, um, she was a great help to me. If you are, th even if you're just thinking about writing a book, you're not there yet, she would be a great resource to, to talk to. Uh, and you could learn about self-publishing versus using publishers and, and all the benefits there. So uh, reach out to Michelle DiFilippo. Her email is on the website, uh, 1106design, and uh, she will take care of you. Certainly let her know that you uh, heard about the uh, uh, her company here on Education, Leadership, and Beyond. That being said, let's get to it. We're going to meet today's guest here. Let's see if this works. There he is, Doc. How you doing? Hey, I am fantastic. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor to be here with you. Doctor, it looks like uh, you're in a comfortable spot. That can't be your office. Are you home no, now? Um, the internet access uh, went down for us in my office, so I had to drive home to get on. So this is a much more comfortable space and uh, no interruptions. <laughs> Our life as school leaders is an interruption. Well, uh, yeah. Dr. Brown, really a thrill to have you on. I had a chance to meet you up at the Saney's Conference uh, last fall, 2017, and you talked about a culture of love. I was not ready to to hear about that. I was ready to hear kind of graduation rates and test scores and, and that kind of stuff. And you blew me away. So uh, let's let's start with that. You know, that culture of love and that concept and you coming to Ithaca. Tell me about that using that concept and the work you're doing up there. And I will start with um, I am a community leader. Um, first, I'm a father and then a community leader. And then I do this thing called being a superintendent um, when I have some free time. And with that framing, my life, our work together is to build community. And we have a vision for the kind of community that we want to build and the one we want to live in. And that's a loving community. Uh, and when we talk about love, it's much bigger than the emotional piece and a feeling. We're talking about a set of verbs and actions and principles, patience kind, trusting, unselfish, truthful, forgiving, humble. See, we have spent some time here in my community unpacking those key verbs, and we put examples to those verbs around how to build community in a patient way, how to be forgiving in algebra classroom at our high school. We come back to those verbs and that way of being often, and you know, when we do that and we build that kind of a community and that kind of an organization, the test scores, the graduation rates, the co-curricular opportunities, enrollment patterns, all those things sort of take care of themselves when we have this approach to love. And, you know, it's not a love fest because, you know, truth and trust, those things can be tough in practice and they can be difficult, they can be challenging, they can be uncomfortable. But when committed to building a culture, that has truth and trust 
at its core, also known as loving, it, we are a better and a different place. So we, I've been here in Ithaca years now. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here and to raise my family here. Um, and at the same time, we are transforming public school system um, around this culture piece. And we've seen, you know, folks are referring to us as having one of the most remarkable educational transformation stories in the country. When we look at quantitative achievement results, but more importantly, when you look at the culture of our organization, coupled with the culture of our city, as we work together, um, it's a pretty cool story. So I give you some sense of where we're coming from um, and what we're trying to build. It's strategic, it's innovation work, it's operational work. It's all those things that leaders talk about every day and live every day. Um, but for us, it's um, about building community first. And when you got there, Doc, and you, you talked about love first before, you know, a teaching practice that you might want to see or something like that. Did, did people look at you cross-eyed saying, what, what is this guy talking about? Oh, yeah. Um, I had people who were angry. Um, I received mean letters, upset emails. Folks used to say the word love. Um, have an folks had an emotional reaction to me talking and a leader talking about it. Folks didn't want to do that touchy feely stuff, is what I kept hearing. They wanted me to talk about how we're going to raise achievement, how are we going to increase the number of young people walking across that stage and graduating. Talk about that. And as I pushed back and said that none of those things happen unless there's great relationships and a culture that supports it um, in a sustainable way, folks struggled with that. You know, we, we break this down in. in, in Three key steps. We say everyone needs to self-reflect first. Really think about where you are with those principles of love and where you're strong, where you need some additional support, some additional resources. I know that I don't forgive well. And I stood before over 2,000 people and said I struggle with forgiveness. That's why I'm always in a mood because I never take that extra step to really push um, to have that hard conversation and be uncomfortable to forgive. So we have, we've asked folks to self-reflect, which lead to the inevitable conflicts. As we reflect and we realize how we all have all been contributors and compliant with the systems and the structures that have resulted in achievement gaps and systemic oppressions, we've all been complicit in compliant with that and have in some ways helped build that system. So as we self-reflect and recognize that we are part of these institutions and have been part of what happened in our schools, we get to a place where we have some conflicts and uncomfortable conversations in the spirit of cooperation instead of competition. And then we ultimately get to policy and structural shifts, changing policy. And as I say to folks all the time, the policies that are on the books in all of our school districts are systemically oppressive. They have contributed to us having the kind of achievement gaps in concerns that we have. It's all based in policies. And when you look at those policies from a loving perspective, from an inclusive perspective and a culturally responsive one, the words that have led to the kind of issues we're all facing jump off the page. So for us, self-reflection, conflict, and policy shifts have been at the core of our continuous improvement effort. And all of that is coming from a place of uh, understanding love. And Doc, I know you went from the mid-70s to the uh, mid-90s now in terms of your graduation rate at, at your high school. Give me an example of a policy that you thought 
was not working or, as you said, you know, uh, oppressive? What, what was an example? And then tell me the process of sure. changing that. Well, see, all of our policies are oppressive. And we, in our school district, with the Board of Education leading it, are looking at every single policy from, from policy number one through the 9,000 series. And those policies that are considered as mundane as a meal purchasing policy to the student code of conduct policies, each one of those has a classist, racist, or sexist undertone to them. And we've been lifting that language up, discussing it, and changing them. So, yeah, you know, code of conduct has been a big one for us. Um, the special education policies have been a big one for us. You know, we were a school district that was significantly higher than the state average when it came to when it comes to uh, identifying young people of young people for special education services. Um, it was also disproportionate. We've now significantly changed that. We're well below the state average, and we're becoming more and more proportional. <laughs> um, so, changing policies, special education policies, and changing some wording allow for that. But then I will go go to every policy, including the uh, meal purchasing policies that were lunch shaming our young people. And it was a classist approach to even young people walking through the lunch line and purchasing a meal or charging a meal and how we treated them was based in policy. And we had to change that as well. Well, I commend you for uh, bringing those conversations to the forefront and, and having the courage to identify uh, some of those. Doc, I know you, you're from Virginia. You came, you came up from Virginia. How did you decide to make the step to, to come from Virginia to New York? I mean, that's like a world away. Well, man, I, I was fooled, first of all. Uh, in, during my recruitment visit, it was in October, and it was beautiful and sunny, and <laughs> it's about 75 degrees, no humidity. And the board president said to me that day, um, it's like this all the time, Lebel. Uh, and I believed him. <laughs> Not having never visited central or upstate New York, didn't know any better. So one, I thought the weather was going to be much better than the hot, humid south. And that was not, was, it was, it's different weather. And then you know, most importantly, though, there was a board of education that had come together. Um, and they had said very explicit with their wishes to change the world. And they wanted a leader that was going to match their energy and their will to completely transform public education in this community and increase achievement to unprecedented levels and to build a community at the same time. And at that time, as I was transitioning in, uh, there were some conflicts, some pretty significant conflicts, negative conflicts that existed in our community. Achievement wasn't where we wanted it to be. And there weren't structures in place from many folks' perspective to get the work done. So mm -hmm. I came in at the right time. And we were, as a team, we've been doing this work now um, and having fun doing it. It must have been difficult, though, for you to leave family and friends and, and, and the comforts of home to, to go to a, a new place. It's great to hear you call it that your community now, but it wasn't when you arrived, right? I mean, you didn't you didn't know a lot of people up there, did you? No, I mean, I'm, I'm from Charlottesville, Virginia, and I grew up there. My parents have lived in the same house for 60 years. I went to the University of Virginia. I lived in on the same dirt road all my life until coming here. So, no, I was planning to stay there all, my, my entire life, but as I reflect and think about this work that we're a part of that is so much bigger than any one of us. And when I think about changing the world and changing public education, I needed to do that someplace other than where I had been all my life. I needed to be uncomfortable as I've asked other folks to be uncomfortable as well. Um, so the work, I was called to this work. Um, it wasn't something I chose. When that board came and they talked about the things they were talking about, when I looked at what was happening in this community, when I 
self-reflected on my skill sets and what I wanted to do, this was the place I needed to be. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been rather successful too. So, I would say so. Yeah. Doc, you started with uh, father, community leader, and then this uh, thing you do on the side called mm-hmm. superintendent. How, you know, is that something that you talked about when you got hired and said, hey, these are my priorities in order here? And, and tell me about putting those in that order. No, I mean, I've learned over the years. This is where um, I learn something new every day. I'm humbled every day. Um, I, I was hoping to achieve this thing we all refer to as leaders as balance. I thought there was a such thing as balance. I could be the perfect dad. Um, I could be an awesome superintendent. I could also contribute to my community. And I've learned um, that's just impossible to do all well and be balanced in those. So I had to make some decisions, some hard, some hard decisions. And I decided I'm going to be the best father I've ever seen. I'm going to be the daddy my kids deserve. Um, and that looked like me changing my schedule. That looked like some hard conversation with the board midway through my tenure here, you know, four years ago, five years ago, saying, you know, we need to shift our meeting structures. Hopefully you will do that for me so that I'm not out every night. Um, that's going to look like me missing some things that I would have never missed before. That's going to look like me, you know, there are a lot of different things, but I'm going to be the best father I can be. And if this isn't going to be a match anymore, then so be it. You know, in this board, obviously, they rallied around me to be, I'm a single dad. So I'm the only one, my only family my babies have all day. So we made that shift. And then, you know, as coming from a place where I'd grown up and lived all my life and my parents are community activists, I've been trained and reared to be a community activist and to build community. And that's deeply embedded in my soul. And I want my children to have that as well. So being a community leader looks like going to conversations, facilitating conversations, serving in ways um, that, you know, high uh, high level professionals working 14 hours a day aren't able to do oftentimes. So I chose to be a daddy, then a community leader. And, you know, fortunately, those two things overlap with me also being superintendent. You know, um, and this work I'm doing as superintendent is making for other parents to be better parents and for the community to be a better place. Um, but I'm serious. And you can talk to folks um, here in our town. They will all say they see me as a daddy and a, and a community leader first. And, you know, occasionally they talk to me as superintendent. Still there, man? Oh. Ah. Uh, I think we lost him. Are we there, Doc? I'm back. I, I hope that the bandwidth in your area is not bad now. <laughs> yeah. I think this might be on my end. I did lose you there. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm in. Uh, I'm in the Port Jervis Public Library here, and uh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry if we lost you there, but it looks a little better now. All right. Well, we're back and we're live. Okay. All right. Um, so well, I, I admire that about you. That that you know, family first, and um, you know, your, your children, uh, Landon and Aiden, and what are the ages of your, your children? They're eight and six. Yeah. And I, I know that's busy. That's right around the age of mine. And mm-hmm. my two little ones are coming on uh, on the show next weekend uh, awesome. for their birthday. They'll be 10 and 7. So uh, Awesome. Congratulations yeah. to you. Yeah. So, 
So, Doc, you're doing great things in Ithaca. Things are working. You're putting things in place. And you had a pretty big recognition last year, you know, 2017 Superintendent of the Year. What was that like for you and your family and and your school district? Yeah, it was a community recognition of many, many years of work. Um, Yes, we celebrated for a couple of days. (laughs) And then we got back to work. Um, This culture of continuous improvement here um, that was an affirmation of what we've done and what I said immediately and have said since then and what our community says often. Yeah, that was a, a fitting ending to the first chapter of our story. So, yes, we our first, our, the first seven years of our work together has been affirmed as being a pretty cool story. Now we have another seven years, which will be chapter two for us. But no, it was, a, uh, it was pretty special to have that, you know, and to be, um, you know, I'm a really fairly young guy. I'm one of the few superintendents of color in our state and have been. Um, so it was a pretty unique award. Um, it was, a, I am unique in that I am getting that recognition at such a young age. Um, and very few people of color who have gotten it before me. So there are a lot of cool things that happen. And uh, again, it was inspiring and an affirmation and we're moving forward. And there's not a lot of, uh, you know, pats on the back in this business. Uh, but again, to, to see that and, and the way you spoke about the things you're doing in Ithaca, you know, you're not only inspiring people in Ithaca, uh, but I think around state, your leader style and the fact that it was recognized in that manner is a great thing. Yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah. We've, yeah. It's been um, a, a, a couple of years now where we've had a national audience and it's been fun. Well, I want to uh, shift to the next topic then. And you're in your home. You were nice enough to bring us in your home today and mm-hmm. you know, you're dressed uh, sharply, as always, I see. I know you wear the vest. But, Doc, you're also in great shape, you know. <laughs> Tell me about that. Is that something? I know you were in the PE uh, teacher, uh, health teacher, uh, before getting into administration. Sure. Is that something that's important to you? Oh, significantly. Um, I think it's important for everyone to lead a healthy and physically active lifestyle. That is a life skill that we need to instill in young people and our adults. Um Mental health, physical health are important, and it takes a commitment. Everything from eating well to spending time to uh, work out. So for me, um, it's every day doing something. But more importantly, it gives me an opportunity to build relationships with uh, young people and our community members. I'm in our high school gym, uh, our community gym, and, you know, I'm not that guy who who puts on headphones and refuses to talk to other folks while working out. I want to connect with folks. I'm training young people. I'm training training some community members. So it's part of a lifestyle. Uh, my kids are growing up in the gym. My kids could, at six years old could uh, train adults. So they've been growing up since they've been able to walk. They've been in uh, gyms. They've used equipment. Um, they know how important it is to stay active. Uh, not a lot of video game playing going on in my house. You know what I mean? <laughs> How do you manage the time to do that, Doc? Do you like to do it in the morning? After school, you go for a run? I mean, I, the, the, the season up yeah. there to be outside is so short. You know, when when and where do you do it? Yeah, schedule it. Um, just like we all schedule our lunches or we schedule important meetings, I schedule it in. Uh, and typically it's going to be early morning before everyone wakes up or sometimes late at night, um, but I don't miss a day. I mean, sometimes I will leave work, go do it, and come back to work. And again, uh, a board of education and a community that's supporting my lifestyle, me being a dad and a, and a community leader um, and a person first, they want me to do the things that uh, I feel passionate about. 
And so they've supported. So if folks see me in the gym in the middle of the day, it won't be an email to the journal or the paper saying, oh, we saw the superintendent skipping out of work. It's no, that's a model for how you take that 30 minutes where you could have been um, at the McDonald's someplace, but you're actually in the gym um, getting, getting your workout in. But you, and they know I'm going to put the time in um, back in the office as well. Yeah. Doc, we're both in our 40s. And uh, yeah. again, I was a college athlete back in the day. And so here's the question I like to ask people. The pers- if, if we have 100% of your physical fitness, what percentage is the actual working out and what percentage is the food you're eating? You know, is it half and half? Is it 50 50? Which one, in your opinion? Oh, yeah. Because you, know, you can, you can run all 90, day, but if you're eating pizza and beer all night, that's not good. 90 10. 90% diet. 10% working out. And I would lean towards 95.5. Wow. And it, it got affirmed for me most recently. Um, I had some pretty significant foot surgery uh, last month. You've been and kicking too I've much been, butt. That's why. Yeah, I wish it was that. <laughs> um, but a recurring issue, and I, I you know, I, it was, I was off of my feet and not in the gym for three and a half, four weeks. And, you know, I thought that was going to really hurt me. And I'm in better shape today. I feel better today and I look better today. My body fat percentage is lower today than it was when I was working out and grinding throughout the winter. When I was, I, you know, I, I stayed disciplined and my diet was tight during that three or four week period there. And I, you know, I recently got back into the gym this weekend, past weekend. My cardiovascular health was up. I felt amazing. Um, again, but I've always thought it was about 90, 10 and now I'm even more sure. It's probably more like 95, 5. Wow. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. Doc, ne- next question. Uh, you heard the sponsor of the show. Uh, it was uh, the friend, a friend of mine, Michelle DiFilippo, who helped me write my book. And in reading yeah. some articles, and um, I mean, I love on your website, you have, you know, what Louvelle's reading and it you shows mm-hmm. the books. But you mm-hmm. talked about writing a book yourself. Um, yes. Is that something that's in the mix for you? Oh, I'm so excited. We hope to uh, launch my book in June, early June. Uh, It's going to be called A Culture of Love, Cultivating a Positive and Transformational School Culture. And it has a a number of stories about our work here in Ithaca and other places I've been, but also some very practical examples about how we built this type of culture in a school district and how it can be transferred and transferable to uh, public private sector, uh, other businesses, other public institutions. So hoping to launch here in early June. Um, it, it, we're developing a website similar to yours. Um, we want to get that story out there now. Um, and I want to hear people's thinking. I want to hear their reactions to what happened here and, and my thoughts that I put. It's been a great process. The reflection that goes into writing a book, as you know, and the humility that goes into writing a book in this way, um, it's made me a person um, to think and write and put my thoughts down in this way. And I'm looking forward to sharing it with um, a large audience. Well, when that comes out, we will definitely give you a shout out here on uh, on this yeah. program. And uh, again, to watch from afar that culture of love is is something uh, that's admirable, yeah. and uh, that you you know. So we will uh, definitely help promote you uh, here on the Thank program. You. Thank you. In in talking about cultural love, Doc, and um, you know, unfortunately, we continue to see school violence, uh, specifically school shootings. Yeah. Um, is that something that you specifically talk about in your district? Uh, and how has Ithaca um, addressed those concerns? Yeah, I mean, we're doing the things many other districts are doing. We um, are working with our local law enforcement. We're implementing new software tools. We're adjusting our drills. 
We're locking front doors, making sure buildings are secure. We're doing all the things that almost every other school district in our country is doing right now. But what I think we're doing even more of and where I think our focus needs to be is around developing culture, um, upstanding behaviors, uh, folks who will reach out when they see something strange, who will provide the support for all young people and all community members um, from a loving perspective and not let folks feel isolated. Uh, we're having those kind of conversations. It's a very, it's a tough and humble place for me as a school leader, you as a school leader to sit down with a parent and sit down with people who are like us with their babies at our schools and say to them, I can't guarantee your safe, your child's safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately we can't. There's recess every day. Their kids are getting on buses every day. They're walking into malls. They're walking to schools. So, so to say that we'll simply lock a door or we'll require a pat, um, ID badges at the front, all those things that is they're good practices in doing all the things and still not being able to guarantee one's safety, um, it's not a cool place to be. So I've been thinking, and I have no civil bullet answer. If I did, I would be on CNN right now so, instead of this uh, Facebook Live. <laughs> but <laughs> what I do know is something needs to change and we need to be thinking differently and doing more of the stuff that'll prevent, that'll prevent this kind of violence and build better people. Um, and that's what our work is all about right now. Well, and uh, uh, we're doing the same in my district. And, uh, you know, it is frightening to think about. And uh, we just unfortunately continue to hear too much about it. Um, yeah. But we need to hear more about cultural love. Maybe your book is going to be something that helps uh, it as yeah. well. It's coming. Great. Doc, again, um, you know, you're not afraid to make people feel uncomfortable and have tough yeah. conversations. And uh, that's how we grow. Uh, mm-hmm. You've done a lot of work. Um, you know, bringing the topic of ethnicity and equity in terms of school leaders, in terms of teachers to the floor. You spoke uh, about that not only at the Saney's conference, but also at the conference we were recently at uh, with the superintendents uh, discussing the topic of race. Uh What are you finding and and what is coming out in these conversations that you're having, not only with school leaders, but also, you know, government leaders around New York State? Yeah, what I'm finding, unfortunately, is that there is still a lack of awareness about the issue. There are still folks who are looking the other way or denying that we have such a void in leadership when it comes to having a diverse leadership uh, group of um, and diverse leaders. There are folks who just don't see it. They look right past it. Those are, the same, those are the same folks who say, I don't see color, which in 2018, I'm struggling with how people can say, I don't see color. <laughs> um, so the awareness issue is something that's hitting me every day whenever I go out. And then the why it's important. There are folks who are still struggling with why it's important to have more people of color in our spaces. And not just in the city, small cities, large cities like Ithaca or Rochester, where we have a significant amount of young people of color, but in our rural communities or in other more homogeneous populations where we have young people who will go from pre-K through their senior years in high school and never want interacting with a person from a diverse background, who thinks differently, who has a different cultural belief system. That's scary. The young people in all these communities are going off to other places or having to operate and interact in a global economy and community, yet are having very few interactions with anyone who looks or thinks differently than them. That's a problem. So the awareness and the why I just want to spend the next couple of years getting at that piece. And again, yeah. that's going to require some self-reflection. 
and with hopes that in time we will get to the constructive conflict that's going to be needed to shift those numbers. So what are the blind spots and what are the structural pieces that are in place? What are the systemic oppressions that I've lived in all my life and career that are disallowing people of color from even getting to the table and have an opportunity to get into these teaching and administrative roles? So that's where it's going to be some conflict, but we're going to have folks to the table who have been complicit in these system structures throughout their lives now having to say that I've been a part of it and what I'm going to do to change my neighbors and my colleagues is thinking to shift what's happening. And then, you know, ultimately we're going to get to some policy shifts and then, you know, that, that may take 10, 15 years yet, but until we change policies and structures and systems, um, we are going to continue to have this lack of diversity and this significant void from my perspective exists in our state and many others. So hard conversation that we might yeah. have. And Doc, you know, you're talking about policies and so like let me we'll mirror the NFL for a moment, yeah. right? They have the, the they have what's called the Rooney rule where uh, organizations must in uh, um, interview a person of color for uh, a position, right? Like a head coaching position or you know, how do you, you know, as a as a superintendent, as an educational leader, you know, how do we bring more people of color, more um, minorities to to the interview, to the you know, to the table? How how do we get more people th those opportunities? And I would start well before the interview and talking about superintendents like myself getting an opportunity to be at the table. That's an issue. But the bigger issue is that, you know, we, let's look at the achievement for young people of color in our state and look at the achievement for young people of color in our state outside of districts that are diverse. Um, what does it look like? So what are the policies and structures that are in place there that are preventing opportunities? Do we have uh, people of color in our advanced level courses in our school districts? Not why. Are there assessments or other barriers that are preventing that from happening? Are we... How many of our young people are going, of color are going off to college? What, what incentives or motivate mentoring programs or other things we have in place that promotes young people of color going to college and going to college to pursue education? So let's, I'm hoping that we have an, a conversation about what's happening in K-12 that we can control before we even start talking about the decisions that boards and superintendents and people who finally are qualified get, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm here as superintendent. And I think I spoke about this in uh, Albany when I accepted the superintendent of the year award. I'm there. Things have gone amazingly well for me. But I have 10 friends and cousins and folks I grew up with that I can name right now who are dead today because of what happened in school districts. So I'm one of the few that actually made it out of an institutionally oppressive organization. I can't imagine what this world would be like if my 10 friends who are much smarter and more talented, much stronger in better shape, were in better shape than I, if they were still here, what our world would be. So I, and I come back to, let's have a real conversation about what's happening in K-12, but if we have many, many candidates vying for these jobs um, and we won't need a money rule to, <laughs> or something like that. We, will, we won't even talk about this kind of diversity issue at some point. Yeah. Start at the bottom and, and grow them uh, into that. And, you know, again, those are, uh, uh, you know, I commend you for bringing those topics to the floor, Doc, and, and talking mm -hmm. about them. And, and you're an inspiration 
uh, for whatever color uh, the person is for, for the work you're doing, not only your age, uh, but but the things you're doing. So uh, kudos you. to you. All right. Doc, one more question before we get to rapid fire. Um, uh -oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, the social media. I love the fact that your social media, your Twitter uh, is on your website and you put great things out there promoting your school district. You know, tell me about using social media in schools and, and why you think that's important. Yeah, our mission here in Ithaca is to engage, educate, and empower. And that empowerment, I really take to heart because it's giving young people a voice and choice, listening to them. You know, I'm, I use Twitter. I'm now using Snapchat and Instagram because kids told me to. I, I stood on stage five years ago and said that Twitter was only for Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. And I had a kid pull me to the side and say, well, you're missing the boat here, bro. There are ways you can use this to help move along your strategic initiatives. And he helped me learn. And, you know, my superintendent, student superintendent advisory council brought me in and talked about social media early on. And, you know, I had to learn. I became a learner again. And I am now using those tools to communicate and to educate um, and empower. I turn my Twitter feed over to a young person almost every Friday and they tweet from their perspectives under my name and they're getting an international audience and they're sharing what they think about our school district and what's working and what's not working. So it's really about our mission to empower young people. And I really believe that when you listen to them, you will learn and grow. So I can't take any credit for what I do on Twitter because um, my young people have done that for me. And that's on Fridays? Every Friday, man. I try right, to do I'll that. have to tune in and see if I see anything uh, from left field out there. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's coming. They do it. <laughs> All right, Doc, we are up uh, to the fan favorite part of the show. It's cool. called the rapid fire uh, portion, and uh, it's got all different types in here. So are you ready? Oh, I'm always ready. Let's go. All right. Last book you read. Uh, thanks for being last, Thomas Friedman. Last movie you saw. Uh, Avengers. I'm still recovering. <laughs> Infinity War. <laughs> was it as good as advertised? Yeah, it blew my mind. I felt like I was in a two-hour fight. Man. <laughs> I'm going back to see it again. Okay, it's on the schedule for uh, me and my family. Yeah, Doc, if you can invite three people to dinner, living or deceased, who would they be and why? Barack Obama, because we have a conversation to finish. We started one, and it was not to meet him, but we have we need to have a dinner to finish the conversation we both start. We started that day. Um, Colin Powell. I read his autobiography, and he is a fascinating leader, and I think one of the more thoughtful people of our generation. And, you know, Steve Jobs, um, anyone who can innovate in that way and transform multiple industries, for a person who's trying to transform just one right now, <laughs> uh, I'm sure I could learn and, and take some insights from him. So those three, and I've read all of their work, and they're inspiring. Well, I, I think you got a pretty good list there, Doc. Yeah. Biggest pet peeve? Uh, shoes that aren't polished. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, good shoes, nice, clean shoes say a lot about a man and a woman. Keep That's those right. shoes clear. Place you go to de-stress and relax? The gym. Okay. Who is your biggest inspiration? You just named a few there, but uh, if they're not in that list, who is someone who inspires you? The wisest person I know is my pops and my dad. And he, a guy who didn't graduate from high school, is the smartest person I know, the wisest person I know. And he's worked his butt off for 80 years to provide for his children. 
and he's inspired me. Great, great. Yeah. You make sure you send him the show here today. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Short-term goal, one to three months. One to three months, I want to get to the summer. We're going to be hosting a, a statewide conference on diversity and inclusion. I want to make sure that's the best event our state's ever seen, the first time having this type of a conversation, and I'm looking forward to leading that conversation here in Ithaca. Actually. I hope you can make it. Great, great. Long-term goal, five to seven years. Still be here. Um, I said my first day on the job when interviewed um, by the local radio station, they said it would be an indication of success in six or seven years. And I said then, if I'm still here, that means that we have the committee, community and I have continued to commit to one another and we're continuously improving. So I'm here in another seven, which is what I want to be. We will have done some amazing stuff and changed it, public education. Three things you expect to see when you walk into a classroom. Um, culturally responsive literature on the walls, on desks, um, in kids' hands, so where young people can see themselves in the curriculum. Um, an inclusive and flexible seating arrangement where there is no exclusion. There aren't desks to the side. Young people, regardless of their disabilities or what they look like, where they are academically, they're included in the environment. And three, I'm looking for that teacher desk. If I see one there, it represents um, an antiquated approach to teaching and learning. And it also is not what we're going for. So it, I, I'm looking for the desk. Hopefully I don't see it. <laughs> but I'm definitely looking to see if there's one in there because it's an indication of what's happening in that space. Great stuff. The top characteristics you want to see in your school administrators? There's only one. Um, love. I mean, that's the question I ask in any interview. Um, talk to me about how you love young people and share with me your experiences that demonstrate that. And, you know, I've been I've interviewed hundreds of people um, with that question as a start. And you can always tell who loves young people and who don't. And there's rarely anyone in the middle. You do or you don't. And unfortunately, too few people do. Your favorite activity that you like to do with your own children outside of, of the schools? Eat dinner and ride in the car or tied. And I'm embracing and appreciating every minute of that time. Because, you know, one day, because of sports and all the things we're going to probably get into as they get older, we won't have that concentrated 30 minutes, 40 minutes of time to just be in conversation with one another. Um, so, yeah, eating dinner together at the table or riding in the car anywhere. If someone uh, wants to uh, book you, Doc, to come to their district, to work with their district, or as a speaker, how, what would be the best way for someone to contact you? Sure. Thanks for asking. The easiest way, Louvelle B, L-U-V-E-L-L-E-B, as in brown, Louvelle B at gmail.com, sort of like yours. <laughs> so Louvelle B at gmail.com, or on my school district website, my email is there, Phone numbers there. You can go there. I'm working on launching my website like yours as well. That won't be ready for another couple of months. But, uh, yeah, email is the easiest way. Okay. Well, and I would you know say from firsthand that you did an amazing job at the at the Saney's Conference. And, uh, again, you put your money where your mouth is because the work you're doing at Ithaca is, is great stuff. And, uh, you know, Doc, we didn't have a chance to connect before the program. I wanted to ask your favorite quote. So I'm going to put you on the spot. I don't know if you have one. Uh, I certainly oh, yeah. had a couple backed up from uh, the articles I read on you, but how about a quote for our audience? 
Uh, if not us, then who? If mm-hmm. not now, then when? If not here, then where? Um, you know, a lot of folks have said it. I think Martin Luther King was the one who made it most famous, but that's the one on my office wall. And uh, it, you know, it represents that sense of urgency around changing the world that we all must have. Doc, you did a great job on the program. We're gonna uh, we're gonna shut it down. Um, certainly, uh, give me a shout out again when that book comes out. The name again for our audience: A Culture of Love, Transforming uh, Organizations with a Positive Culture. Yeah, great stuff, Doc. I will send you the stuff here. Uh, we want to appreciate uh, Dr. Louvel Brown from Mythica Schools coming on. Uh, he did a fantastic job, and uh, I look forward to that book coming out. Likewise. Thank you so much. All right, Dr. Brown, we'll be in touch. I do want to give one more shout out to today's sponsor, speaking about book, uh, self-publishing. If you want to self-publish, contact Michelle DiFilippo, uh, 1106 Design. She did a great job uh, for it, so I appreciate her uh, sponsoring today's show. Uh, Dr. Brown, Ithaca Schools. Next week's guests coming up are uh, my two youngest children, Matthew and Tessa Murata. We're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about leadership. And uh, uh, it's going to be tough to follow Dr. Brown's act here, but uh, they're coming on next week. Thank you. All right. Signing off here on Education, Leadership, and Beyond. Have a great day, everyone. Go out and change the world for the better.